And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. It's been 30 years since uh, President Clinton signed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. Uh, it was, it's actually a remarkable story, and it's uh, got some legal subtleties to it, but this is worth getting under our belt and getting familiar with. And so we're going to take some time with uh, uh, Deacon uh, and Chief Executive Officer of the Alvin Maria School of Law, John Zarnetsky. He also serves as legal advisor to the Holy See's mission to the United Nations, representing the Holy See in negotiations, including establishing the International Criminal Court and several international treaties. And Dean Zarnetsky is a lay member of the Dominican Order, which we share together, and a third-degree knight of Columbus, which we also share together. John, good to have you back here. Al, it's, uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure, as always. Let's talk about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. What was the problem to which the Religious Freedom Restoration, Restoration Act was supposed to be the solution? Well, uh, Al, I think it is, as you said, worth just giving a little bit of detail without getting too deep in the weeds. Uh, the, the First Amendment of the Constitution, of course, says that Congress shall make no law respect or prohibiting the free exercise of religion. Uh, now, that, that prohibition is absolute in that language, but, uh, of course, there have to be situations where uh, a, a claim of religious freedom gives way to something the government wishes to do. Like, for example, the First Amendment is not without exceptions. Mm-hmm. So the and the traditional rule goes back to a very famous case, Al. I know you're familiar with it, Sherbert versus Werner right. in 1963. The court that was a case where someone uh, refused to work on her Sabbath. It happened to be Saturday, and of course the employer uh, or the government denied that person unemployment insurance when she was fired from her job for refusing to work. And the court in that case reasoned that uh, the the law was a generally applicable law. It was not directed at her religious uh, uh, faith. However, uh, and therefore, in general, those type of laws are applicable. Mm-hmm. However, the court in Sherbert held that if the employee in that case could show that there was a uh, less burdensome way for the government to achieve its compelling interest in work laws, then the employee could have an exemption from this statute. So that was the rule going forward for about, oh, 30 years, more or less. Okay. That, uh, you know, the, the government laws can uh, burden religion but if there's a, le- a, a less restrictive way for the government to accomplish its uh, objective, an employee can be exempted from that law. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, then in 1990, uh, Al, the court came down with a case that you and I discussed in the list of the worst Supreme Court cases <laughs> in history a few I, years back. So I remember. Back. Yeah. <laughs> and that was uh, the Smith case, where a great hero of mine, Justice Scalia, mm-hmm. uh, aired, I think, in the majority opinion. Uh, there the Supreme Court took away the exemption of people whose religion is uh, burdened by a government, by a generally applicable government law. 
uh, the court held as long as the law is generally applicable, uh, then it's going to be valid regardless of the burden on someone's religion. That's the famous uh, peyote case with yeah. Native Americans. Yeah, these so were Rifra, We this was where two we had two uh, Native Americans fired from their jobs at a rehab clinic uh, after they I guess tested positive for mescaline, um, which they had like, used in a religious ceremony, and that this is this is not unheard of. I mean that that there's a long history of peyote cactus being used in certain Native American religious ceremonies. So, uh, just yeah, there, there was no yeah. question this. I'm sorry. I no, no, no. Go right ahead. There, there's no question that this was uh, legitimate and longstanding religious practice yeah. on the part of these employees. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Smith, the, the the peyote case, took away the exemption that the Supreme Court had granted in Sherbert. Yeah. So Congress acted. Uh, my wife likes to say, land the plane already, John. So let me land the plane. <laughs> uh, con- I'm, li- I'm enjoying the ride, man, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Congress uh, responded to the Smith case specifically, Supreme Court case, as it sometimes does, and passed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And the effect of that statute was to restore the Sherbert test, essentially. Mm-hmm. That is to say... A generally applicable law passed. Now, the original RIFRA applied to both con- uh, fed, federal government and the states. Mm-hmm. A generally applicable law passed by Congress that burdens religion, uh, a person so burdened can have an exemption from that law uh, as long as they can show that the there is a uh, less restrictive means by which Congress can uh, achieve its aim. Oh, and by the way, Congress must the the law must be directed towards a compelling government interest. Yes. So um, that's what RIFRA sought to do. And in the the Smith decision, really aggravated a lot of people. Uh, everybody from the ACLU to, you know, more traditional values organizations, right? Oh, yes, it did. Um, I, I'm, I can't think of the famous, it, the, I forget the name of the um, right-leaning group that was most vociferous about it, the Traditional Values Foundation. Yeah, yeah Coalition. Like that. I yeah. apologize for not getting that quite right, but the ACLU uh, was uh, definitely anti-Smith decision, so it did it spanned the political spectrum. Yeah, the criticism of Smith. Now, uh, so the intention of RIFRA, as it's commonly called, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, was basically to restore um, the uh, the old, the Sherbert test. Uh, Correct. So, so government um, could not uh, substantially burden. Uh, a, a religious person. Uh, wh- when I mean this, but they had there was a follow up to this. In other words, it ceased to apply as fully to the states as it did to the federal. That's correct. Yeah, tell us about that. That's a little weird. Yes, the um, Supreme Court in a subsequent case, uh, just a few years. 
um, after RIFRA, sometime in the late 90s, I believe, held that Congress had exceeded its authority in passing a federal statute uh, that also applied, as RIFRA purported to do, to the states. Now, um, the reaction to that case has been that many states, um, including my home state of Florida, have passed state versions of RIFRA. Okay. But not all, by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I'm not sure about Michigan. Um, There have been a few states where the legislature has not acted, but the judiciary has imposed a RIFRA slash Sherbert type test on uh, burdens on free exercise. So uh, that's a very interesting area. It's a little bit technical as far as uh, federalism concerns are, but uh, the main point is the Supreme Court held that RIFRA does not apply to the states, despite the fact that that's what Congress initially attended. Do you know why uh, Justice Scalia uh, didn't like the Sherbert test? I, I, I just was it a was it a problem? Was it difficult to apply it? Uh, was there something inconsistent about it that he didn't like? Uh, it, it, it mandated strict scrutiny, right? Uh, when yes. you, yeah. Yeah. So, what didn't he like about it? Yes, and and I left that out, and that's a crucial point. Is that part of the Sherbert test was any burden on religious exercise must. Uh, meet strict scrutiny, meaning the the very most uh, rigorous um, scrutiny to be certain that it was intended for general, not discriminatory reasons. Right. Um, to answer your question, Al, I, I honestly do not know. Um, somebody that has delved more deeply into Justice Scalia's thought might know mm-hmm. uh, why Justice Scalia um it, 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 it sided with uh, an unusual coalition in um, in that yeah. opinion. Yeah. I, I just don't know. I don't either. Yeah, I've, I've been curious about it, um, but I haven't made much of an effort to find out either. I'll admit. Um, well, neither have I, unfortunately. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so the would you say that as a result? of the Smith decision and then the subsequent passage of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and then it's um, uh, it's distinguishing it from the state from state application and federal application are we less religiously free today than we were um, after Smith immediately after Smith no, I, I think that we are uh, more religiously free. Okay. Uh, the the result the result of the Smith test would have been that it or was and would would still be, but for RIFRA, that uh, as long as the government can show that the law that they passed, which burdens yours or my religious freedom, applied to everybody equally. In other words, it wasn't directed at a specific religion or an individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that law is going to stand. You know, an example might be uh, if the government uh, tried the, to resurrect the disaster that was prohibition uh, and therefore 
uh, and Smith applied, there'd be an argument, I'm not an expert in this area, but there'd be an argument that meant that Catholic churches couldn't use wine in yeah. the um, mass. Yeah, that's and right. R- RIFRA corrects that. Very good. John, thanks again. Uh, really appreciate your help on these things. And uh, again, I think it gives our people a, a better understanding of how uh, you know we need to stay engaged uh, in this culture and protecting our religious liberties. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure, Alan.